Would you turn in your Bibles with me this morning? We're going to be over in Numbers again, this time in chapter 25. There was a lesson that was written, and I hope I get the name right, Tiziana Ruff, that there was once an emperor in the Far East who was growing old and knew it was his time to die and to choose a successor. Instead of choosing one of his assistants or one of his own children, he decided to do something different, and he called all the young people in the kingdom together one day. He said, it has come time for me to step down and to choose the next emperor. And he gave to all the children a seed. He said, this is a very special seed. You are to take this seed and you are to take it home and you are to care for the seed. You are to plant this seed in soil and water it. And in one year, one year from today, I will call you all back in and we will see what you have grown. And I will make my judgment as to who my successor will be. And so all the children got excited and they took it on home. And one child in particular, his name was Ling, took it home, explained to his mom what he was going to be doing. And his mom went and found a pot and they put some nice potting soil in there and they planted the seed. And he carefully checked that seed every single day, see if it needed water. If it did, he put just enough water on it, not too much. He took extreme care of that seed. And three weeks went by, four weeks went by, and the other children are reporting that their seeds had sprouted and lings had not. Five weeks, six weeks, seven weeks, eight weeks. Still, there was no seed sprouting for ling. Everyone else had plants now. They're not talking about seeds. They're talking about plants. Everyone else in the room that had received a seed is having a plant grow. And after a couple of months, six months went by, Everyone now has either trees or tall plants growing and Ling has nothing. It's just a pot. And he is just sure that somehow he has killed his seed and his chance to be the successor to the emperor. A year went by and the day came and the emperor called all the children into the room and they all came together. They bring your plant, bring your pot And they all brought it in and Ling was so embarrassed he didn't want to go. And his mom says, no, you need to go. You need to be there. But but everyone else has things growing. I'm the only one who doesn't have anything growing. I'll be embarrassed. And she says, no, you just go and you be honest about what you did, about how you took care of it and what happened. And so Ling went and he sat all the way in the back of the room and he tried to hide Because everyone else came in and they had trees growing in their pots and tall plants. And the emperor noticed Ling in the back with a pot with no plant growing in it. And he called out to the young man and says, what's your name? And he says, my name is Ling. He says, Ling, come up here. He knew he was in trouble. He just knew he was in trouble. He's the only one in the whole room who there's no plant growing. And he calls him on up to the front. And he He uh, introduces him to the class. He says, class, this is Ling. He will be the next emperor. And no one in the class was more shocked than Ling was. Ling looked at him and says, me? I'm the next emperor? Why would I? I'm the only one who couldn't grow the seed. And the emperor looked at Ling and he says, every single child in this room received a seed that was boiled. And every single one replaced their seed with another. You are the only one who is honest enough to come and bring the seed that I gave you. 
<laughs> Boy, there's something about being faithful, isn't it? Just be faithful, be honest with what you have and with what you got. Because you just don't know what the, what's going on. The title of our, of our faithfulness lesson today is Faithful or What? Last week we looked at faithful to what? This is faithful or what? What happens if we're not faithful? What happens if we're one of those children who decides to replace the seed and grow something different? Well, the Word of God has some things and we're going to be looking at, at judging because if we are not faithful, is it not true that the Word of God says that there will be some judgment that comes for the lack of faithfulness? The Word of God, as we've looked at in the past, has said that, we, that a steward is required to be faithful. It's required of a student, steward to be faithful. In Luke chapter 6, verse 36 and 37, a verse of Scripture very familiar to people. Therefore be merciful just as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Similar, Romans chapter 2 and verse 1, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are, who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself, for you who judge practice the same things. And most Christians, and we've talked about judging in this church many times, but most Christians have the idea that we as Christians are never to judge. And so what we do is we, uh, we don't judge outwardly, but sometimes we judge inwardly or sometimes we gossip about each other and we judge that way and, and we, we judge through the back door and, and things of that nature. But it's because we have had a misunderstanding of judging that we've gotten off and done, done things in the wrong way. We have to make sure that we judge correctly. We've talked about it before. I can just summarize it again for you. We cannot judge each other's motives, but we can judge each other's actions. We are called and have a responsibility to judge each other's actions as Christians, as believers. But I cannot judge your motives. The example I've often used with people, with you all, is I can't judge your motive unless you tell me what it is. Why did you do that? Because I hate them. Can I judge your motive now? You told me what it was. Can I judge that motive by the Word of God? Absolutely, I can. Now, we have to make sure that in the way that we judge, we judge carefully. Because John tells us, you be careful how you correct someone. When you go in there and you correct somebody, you've got to make sure that you understand you could fall too. Don't judge from a place of superiority or correct from a place of superiority. Well, if we're going to line up with what John says about correcting, we've got to make a judgment. In 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 7, Paul teaches us, Therefore, purge out the old leaven. What's leaven mean in, in the New Testament? Bad stuff. Sin. Wrong teaching it's used for. Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. So he tells us, purge out that old leaven. You've got to get that stuff out. I've got to judge some old teaching I've got. Some wrong teaching I've got on the inside of me that's holding me back. I gotta judge that. I gotta get rid of it. I gotta judge some actions that I'm doing that I shouldn't be doing. A little bit further on down in verse 8. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of, of sincerity and truth. I write to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Be careful who you keep company with. Now, this does not mean that a person who has sinned sexually or any other way, that you just shun them for the rest of their life. What he's talking about in this, in this part is that they continually practice it. They are not repentive and they're going to go this way and that's just the way that it's going to be. 
you got to treat them as unbelievers or, or, or treat them as people who need God. And you don't just ignore them and not talk to them. What do we do with heathens that are in the world? Witness to them. We want to get them. We want to win them over. We want to bring them into the kingdom of God. But you got to be careful what kind of familiarity you have with them. I've told you the story about it before. Sometimes we have you know folks come in and out and don't always hear all that. But uh, how many of y'all know those those worldly parties y'all can get invited to when you're in high school and college and things like that? I'm not going to ask you how many of you went to those parties. Some of you may have. Some of you may not have. I went all through high school, never went to one of those parties. Went through all of college, never went to one of those parties. Went on down to Rama, sitting over there at Rama, going to school, and they invited me out to one of those parties. Thanksgiving, I was home for Thanksgiving because it's a little far to go on home just for a weekend. And so I stayed uh, down in uh, Oklahoma for Thanksgiving, and they knew I was home by myself and, and uh, no family around. So they said, why don't you come on over? We're having a party. And I knew what kind of a party it was. And so instantly, out of my mouth, came the words, nope, I'm okay. I don't need to go. And I've told you this story before, but God God dealt with me. Go to the party. God dealt with me. Go to the party. So I don't Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> I don't want to go to no party. Because I'm sure that, that can't be God. God's not going to lead you to go to a place like that. I know what they do in these kind of places. There's no way I'm going to one of these parties. And But boy, I'll tell you what, I could tell the voice of God, and it was definitely the voice of God. So I went ahead and, all right, I'll go with you. And so they, uh, I didn't have a car down there. I was, you know, just having enough money for school. So I got a, they, somebody picked me up from the place I was working at, and they gave me a ride on over there. And you get on out there to the place, and the outside they had a box. And in that box was a bunch of bags. In the label for the box, it says, if nudity offends you, put this over your head. I said, dear God, I know I miss God now. I'm leaving. <laughs> I know. It. I mean, I, I showed no response, no reaction to the folks that brought me. But I'm thinking the whole time, I have got to get out of here. There is no way I should be in this place. But there's no place. I came with someone else. What are you going to do? So I went on in. Boy, I'll tell you, if, you, if I, you thought I was nervous before, I am really nervous now. And so I get on in there. And, and uh, one of the persons I know who, uh, who was there was that uh, actually the uh, person who ran the restaurant I worked at. It was at her house. And I uh, heard her husband through the through the thing, and one of the uh, uh, other people that I knew. There's a couple that was there that I was pretty close to, and she said, "I'm gonna, I'll get you a drink. Would you, um, would you like a diet coke?" And I said, "Okay." And she said, it, "It will just be diet coke." <laughs> I said, "Okay, thank you." And so they brought me one on over, and so we had this conversation, and this conversation ensued here in this worldly party with people drinking, and and thank God there was no nudity. <laughs> there was nothing actually that went on in this party that anyone would have been offended at at all. The whole time that I was there, we talked about God. We talked about end times. We talked about end times prophecy. And one after another, they're firing questions off, firing questions off, asking me question after question about things of, of, uh, of God. And the party was over. And thank God. <laughs> and I got on home and safe and sound. Later on, they had another party. And they asked me to come out to that party. And I said, no. And God dealt with me again. <laughs> Go to the party. Well, I got a little wise to it. All right, God, if, if I didn't fight him as much on this one. If you want me to go to the party, I'll go to the party. So I went to the party. And, and no signs outside this time. 
But we got into the party. And again, the same thing happened. We got into the conversation and talked about God the whole night. And the whole group began to back gather around and firing question after question, not so much just on the end times, but all, all kinds of things about God. And we talked the whole night about God. I mean, that's a good party. On the way home, one of the young men that was in there that I was talking to, he sat in the back seat with me. We were getting a ride home. He accepted Jesus Christ as a Savior. Glory to God for that. They had other parties after that. God never told me to go. I never asked him if I could. I was totally content not going to those things. And you got to be careful where you go. You want Don't just hang out with folks. They can influence you in the wrong way. Now, you know, God knew I could go in there and influence it the right way, I guess, in that situation. But there's probably other situations that i got to be careful about because they could influence me in the wrong way. So you got to be careful about that. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reveler or a drunkard or an extortioner or even to eat with such a person. It does not mean that they ever were. It means that they continue to practice it now and are unrepentant. Sometimes we get the wrong idea about this and this is where the judging in the church is taking a wrong turn. Someone had made a mistake years ago and we just want to hold them under that forever. And you can't do that. Brother Hagin used to talk to us. I, boy, I love the way he talked to us about divorce because you know in the church you have a lot of folks that people get divorced and things like that and we all know divorce is divorce of God. Of course not. But so is a whole lot of other things not of God that you got involved with. But somehow we want to put them into a different category. And he would talk about a particular church that he had pastored. And uh, when he left, you know, they'd gone to look for another pastor. And they had a, a person that he actually was recommending. He said, I think this person over here ought to go, but this person was divorced. And they excluded him on the fact that he was divorced. That just was all the reason in the world not to, not to bring him in. So they didn't bring him in. And they went after someone else. And the church dropped down from its attendance to about half. And then they went out and got someone else. And the church dropped down even more. He said, yeah, they brought all these people in. They had no anointing, but they weren't divorced. <laughs> well, you got to be careful with it sometimes. He, he was talking about it to one person. Uh, you know, he was, a, he was a minister and he had gotten divorced and he really couldn't, uh, no one would accept him in a church anymore. And he says, well, come on in here. I got an answer for you. And he pulled out a gun. He gave him the gun. And he says, go home, shoot your wife. You go to prison for a little while. When you get out of prison, uh, you can go around to give your testimony. Now, shocked the man, absolutely shocked the man. He says, because <laughs> he thought he was telling him to go home and kill his wife. He says, no, I'm not telling you to do that. But he said, that's how ridiculous it is. Stop, stop letting them shape your opinion. He said, if God will forgive you for a murder, why wouldn't he forgive you for a divorce? If it was your fault or whatever it was, was going on. So we have to be careful about that. Just because somebody made a mistake in the past, don't hold them under it forever. Always give people a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance, a fifth chance. You keep giving them chances until God says he's done with them. And he doesn't say that too often. We know that he does at times, but most of the times, you know, Saul, he got done with. But most of the times he's ready to get people going and he just wants to get them into the kingdom. And so you can be there and you help them out. You love them into that kingdom. Get them out of that thing. But he's talking about people who practice this. So just please understand it from that point of view. For what have I to do with judging those who are an outsider? Do you not judge those who are inside? Who are we supposed to judge? Supposed to judge believers. Of course, sinners are going to act like sinners. They are sinners. Why wouldn't they act like sinners? It's believers that are supposed to act different. Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. And before we get so hung up on even judging other people, 
We ought to first off judge ourselves in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven, as he talks about the, the Passover, Lord's table, communion. We're jumping in the middle of this, but in verse 27, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. Go home early. For if we judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord and we may not be condemned with the world. So it's real important before we get into the rest of this over here in Numbers that you understand the idea of judgment. That first off, our primary responsibility is to judge ourselves. Get rid of the evil inside yourself. Get rid of the sin in your own life because if you judge yourself down here, God will not have to judge you up there. It is better it is easier for you if you judge yourself down here than if you wait for God to do it up there. Now, don't get this notion that there's certain sins. Well, if I have this sin in my life, when I get to heaven, God's going to say, forget it. You're done. Get out of here. Don't get into that idea. There's, there's, there's other things that go on with, with uh, what, what sin is judged in heaven. But hallelujah, if you make it there at the gate, you're getting in. Because at the time you die, God knows which direction you're going. And you head in that direction. Glory to God. We can know that we're on our way to heaven. But it's important that we judge ourselves. It's so important that I understand that I judge myself that when I see a brother or sister not judging themselves in an area, I need to be taken up with the concern of what will happen to them when they get to heaven. Not with any other concern. I need to be taken up with a concern for them, with a love for them, and to come in and restore such a one with that attitude. I want to see you get to heaven without having that to be judged. I want to help you get out of that. I want to help you to get past that. And if you come with that attitude, judging other people is not a, not a big deal. So just, just do that. But if you get out there and you get haughty and you get better than them and, and so forth, you're, you've created problems for yourself and you've judged in the wrong attitude, in the wrong way. So anyway... We've spent much more time on this whole subject before, just giving you a review, just giving you a setting the stage for where we're going here in Numbers 25. Because what happens if we are not faithful? How many of you are concerned about that? We hear all this stuff. We've been looking at faithfulness all this time. Well, what happens if I decide I'm not going to be faithful? What happens if I just don't walk that way or I'm faithful to the wrong things or, or whatever it is? What will happen to me? And we're not going to answer this all in one day. We're actually taking a number of weeks on this. What happens if I am not faithful? What will go on? Here in Numbers 25, verse 1. Now Israel remained in Acacia Grove and the people began to commit harlotry with the woman of Moab. Now we need to give you a little bit of review here. You all know the story of Balaam and Balak. Balaam and Balak takes place in chapter 22, 23, and 24. The Moabites are fearful of Israel and they want to take care of it. So they hire the prophet to come in and to curse them. So Balaam opens up his mouth and he tries to curse them and nothing comes out but blessing. He wants the money. And there's a whole lot of things we find out that are wrong in Balaam, even though we don't read about it in 22, 23 and 24. We do read about it in the New Testament. We get set straight on what was going on with that. We're not here to talk about that story, but that's the idea that was behind here. And Balaam wanted to find a way to get the reward since he could not come out 
and verbally curse them and get the reward that way. He counseled the king of Moab and he says, this is what you do. Send your women over, lure the men into sexual immorality and adultery and God will judge them for you. That was the counsel that he gave. That was the counsel that they followed. And that's why chapter 25 comes right after chapter 24. So Israel remained in a Casey grove where they were, close by where Moab was. They invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods. Who is the they? The Moabites. Invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods. And the people ate and bowed down to their gods. As we were telling you about in the earlier part of this, there are some invitations that you should not take. There are some people who will invite you out to things and when they invite you out to those things, those things will change your life in a bad way. Be careful about the invitations that you accept and the places that you go. They accepted these invitations. The people from Moab came on over and said, we have a big feast going on today. How about you all come on over? Oh, feast? Sure. We're hungry. Then they get on over there and they find out it's a feast to a god. Well, I don't wonder if we should be there. Well, we don't want to offend them. You know, you, you don't want to just offend them and just leave. So we'll just hang out and we'll just, uh, when it's over, we'll go on home and then we won't come back. And so they hung on out and they did some things at these feasts that they didn't do at the feasts in Israel. And they had an appeal. It lowered the men. They said, what? Did you see what they did down there? How that feast went on? The things that went on? Oh, boy, if they invite me again, I might go. And they invited them again. And they went. Except this time, the women of Moab were a little more friendly to the men of Israel. And the men of Israel were receptive to this friendliness. And we found out later on that adultery began to happen and, and things went on. Verse 3, So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord out in the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. So the leaders were apparently involved in this. Not all the leaders, nor was all the children of Israel involved, but a number of the children of Israel were involved, and a number of leaders were involved. So Moses says, go out there, grab the leaders, get them all out there. And the leaders who caused the fence, who walked in this fence, you get them and you hang them on a tree. You hang them up. That's pretty severe, isn't it? Judge yourselves lest ye be. Yeah, it's not a good thing to be judged by God. I'd rather judge myself. You should have judged yourself earlier and said, you know what? This is not a good direction. I think I recall God saying something about not mingling with women from that serve other gods. I think he said something about that. Did he say something about that? Hmm. Maybe you ought to listen to that. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, every one of you kill his men who were joined to Baal of Peor. So they got involved and got involved in the idolatry. They got involved with the women. And look at verse 6. And indeed one of the children of Israel, one out of how many? Two, three million who... A number, a lot. There's a lot of people. One. <laughs> now, I, I can't say there was two or three others. Besides, we were just focusing here on one. 
And indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. This verse is packed with stuff that's going on. So we bring one of the men who's bringing this Moabite woman. This one, how did he get involved with this Moabite woman? He went over to the feast to their gods. He was lowered in by this, this woman. And he got so comfortable with this woman, bringing her in. He brings him to brings her, not under cover of darkness, middle of the day. Brings him other brethren. Look who I'm going to marry. Look who I'm bringing in. And we don't see any response from the leaders of his tribe. And he's so comfortable with this, he does it in front of Moses. Now, how many of you all know that there are some things that you know are wrong, but you only become mindful of them being wrong when someone is present? For the men in the church here, just think back when you were young. You knew your mom said not to do this, but somehow you're not mindful of that until all of a sudden you see mom. Oh. Then all of a sudden it comes back in your head. Oh, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to be doing this. But up until then, you were completely unaware of it. But Moses is right there. Right in the sight of Moses. And this guy's not bothered by it. He's bringing it right on in. Right in the sight of Moses. The children of Israel. Who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle meeting. Now my question is, why are they weeping? Why are these people weeping? And especially if there's there's... They're making note that the people are weeping. Now, hold that thought in your head because we're going to find out what this is. There is a reason why these people are weeping. But we're not giving it here in verse 6. So, there's a comfort level here with sin. They become comfortable with it. Just going out there and, and sitting. So the people began to commit adultery with the people of Moab. Remember where the threshold is? A threshold is the point at which something begins. You were obedient to God, obedient to God, obedient to God. Then all of a sudden, something happens and you begin disobedience. You can hear God, hear God, hear God. Then all of a sudden, something happens and I don't hear God anymore. The threshold is something, a point at which something begins. There's a point at which these folks began to fall into the adultery, idolatry and things. Now when Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand and he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through the man of Israel and the woman through her body so the plague was stopped among the children of Israel. I don't recommend that you do this today. You'll probably have some other you know, problems if you do that. But this is what he does. They're under a theocracy. God is the ruler. We're not under a theocracy. We have a president. We have a constitution. We have a congress. We have police. We have so forth. And you have to answer them for those things, understandably. But he grabs the javelin. He gets so mad at seeing what this is going on. He doesn't kill them in the midst of the congregation. He gets them in the tent. And he's able to, you know, they're close enough to each other. Able to put that spear right on through both of them. He got that mad for God. 
But then it says something. So the plague was stopped among the children of Israel. If a plague was stopped, what does that mean? Had to start somewhere. We just weren't told when it was started. Now, we looked uh, not too long ago. I forget whether it was uh, Sundays or Wednesdays. Sometimes they jumbled together for me. But we looked at how the plague started amongst the children of Israel. I think it was last, last Sunday. And in, in what, a matter of minutes, hours, 14,700 died? Why do you think those people were weeping at the meeting, at the tent of meeting? Because the plague had started. So here you got this. This is the scene. You got people that are at the tent of meeting weeping because someone they loved died because of the plague. Why did the plague come on Israel? Because they're following after the idolatry, taking part of the, the ceremonies, and having adultery with the women of Moab. And here comes this guy bringing his Moabite woman right through the weeping people. Isn't that brazen? That is something else. Not phased by it at all. Just brings it right on through. But this act, Phineas stopped the plague. So those who died in the plague were 24,000. We had 14,700 before, now we got 24,000 died. Well, God's goal was to make sure that uh, those that were old enough made a decision not to go after God. Well, they're making it easy for him, weren't they? Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel because he was zealous with my zeal among them so that I did not consume the children of Israel in my zeal. Because God apparently would have. Therefore say, behold, I give to him my covenant of peace and that shall be to him and his descendants after him a covenant of everlasting priesthood because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the children of Israel. We sometimes just got to take out the, the zeal of God. And get that. Doesn't mean you got to go grab a javelin and find somebody to... But you got to pick up the zeal of God. Become zealous for the things of God. Sometimes we've just become lax to the things of God. We've just let them go on by the wayside. I'm letting stuff go on the inside of me. I'm letting the critical spirit rise up on the inside of me. I'm letting gossip rise up on the inside of me. I'm letting all these things come up. And I'm speaking these things out. Negative words here. Negative words there. Judge yourself. Quit it. Pick up that zeal of God. Pick up that zeal that says, God, I shouldn't have these words. I shouldn't have these thoughts. Why am I entertaining these thoughts about these folks? I shouldn't do it. I need to let that go and get zealous and judge the thing out from yourself. Get it out of yourself. And once you get it out of yourself, you can go out there and help other people a whole lot better. I mean, how would you receive it if brother or sister so-and-so who is so involved in gossip comes over to you and, and rebukes you about your gossip? What's your first thought? What in the world? What are you doing coming over talking to me? You're worse than I am. Isn't that your first thought? You totally disqualify what he even though what he says is or she says is true. It don't matter. You disqualified it. He said, no way. Because you're, you're involved in this as much as I am. That's why the Word of God says you don't get the log out of your own eye first. Get your own life taken care of. doesn't mean that you have to be perfect. And sometimes we've come out with that meaning that I have to be perfect before I can go out there and correct anybody. 
No, you just got to get that right attitude that says, you know what, I could fall into this too. Or I have fallen into that before. Or whatever it might be. But either way, it's not good. This is what the Word of God has to say about it. You can tell whether your motives to help people are right. If your motives are right, you're just there talking to the people, correcting them. And you don't go off and tell everybody else about it. Well, I told them this. I sure set them straight. I let them have it. Don't be doing that. You have a correction that needs to be made with somebody, go out there, make the correction, and go on away from it. Let it go. Make sure your motives are right. Because we how many all find this? When we find gossip in the church, when we find criticalness in the church, when we find hate in the church, not walking in love in the church, walking against the Word of God, doing the things that the Word of God has said not to do, make sure you restore them in such a way that they can be restored and help them out. Don't make it tough for them. Well, here Phineas, he picked up that passion and he got rewarded for it. God says, you know what? I'm going to make your line, the high priest line forever. It's going to be an everlasting priesthood. Over in verse 12 again. Therefore say, behold, I give to him my covenant of peace and it shall be to him and his descendants after him a covenant of an everlasting priesthood because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the children of Israel. He made atonement. Well, folks, judgment starts started before with the guilty leaders, didn't it? But you are the leader of your life. Make sure that the judgment that you have starts with yourself. Judge, get rid of that, that stuff out of your own life. You don't need it. It's going to hold you back. But then don't look at other people. How many of you know people that have missed, missed it with God before? You all do, don't you? Come on, you know yourself. We all know people who have missed it with God before. Give them the opportunity to start again. Well, I already gave them that opportunity last week. Give it to them again. And then give it to them again. Because God's goal should be our goal. And our goal should be, let's see him get going. Let's see him get over the hump. Let's see him get there. Well, here in the rewarding area, Phineas turned back the wrath of God. He didn't just feel the anger of God. He carried it out. He carried it out. Now, would you have known that this was the will of God? I don't know myself. I mean, if I'm sitting there and I got the spear and I see the situation that's going on there, would I be bold enough to say, this is the will of God. I'm going to go out there and take the spear and drive it through. But he saved a whole lot of people's lives. Don't know how many, but he saved. He stopped the plague. He saved a whole lot of people's lives by picking up that zeal of God. Now, here's the questions we want to begin to look at. What happened to the people God used to carry out judgment? Because God carries out judgment in the Word of God, doesn't He? Didn't God judge Saul? Didn't God use Jehu to execute some judgment? Didn't God use Israel to execute some judgments? Didn't God use the enemies of Israel at times to execute judgment on Israel? Wasn't Babylon used as an instrument of judgment to a nation that had gone after idolatry? Now, if you were to stand there and look, here's Babylon and here's idolatrous Israel. Which one do you say was the worst? I kind of think Babylon was probably the worst. They never did follow God or, or go in any direction at all. And yet God used them to judge Israel. Well, what good is that? What? How does that happen? How many times have we looked at a situation and we feel that God judged in the situation and God made a decision between one party and the other party, so this party must be right. 
This party must have, have been our, this party must be the faithful one. They must be the one that is on the right page. Because God judged in their, in their favor. Or God used them. Or, or whatever it might be. So we're going to look through the Word of God and we're going to find out some things in the Word of God that that's not always the case. Sometimes God's used people who were more unrighteous than the ones they were judging. And you have to ask yourself the question, why? Why would God use some people that were more unrighteous than the people He was judging? He also used people that were more righteous to carry out the judgment. So there's some situations we need to look at. So the people who were used in the judgment, were they in turn judged? Did the God go back and take a look at them and say, let's, let's judge you now? Well, sometimes they were. And sometimes they weren't. So what made the difference? Why is it that sometimes God turned and judged them? And then other times, God didn't. You know, there's a rhyme and a reason why God does everything that He does. He doesn't just do it because on whims. He doesn't just have good days and bad days and base things out on that. There's reasons why. God is always true to His Word, always does what His Word says. Were they above judgment? No. So we need to understand the reasons. Because if we get used in the area of judgment, don't be sitting back there and say, well, I must be more faithful. I'm the faithful one. I'm the one God chose. And sometimes we can get in a whole big head about that. Don't be getting a big head about it. Don't be messing with it. doesn't mean that you were the more faithful one. Israel's bringing home sinners, hanging around sinners, and it pulled them down. It hindered them. God was never out there saying, don't hang out there with the Moabites or people that act like that, because if you do... You'll have all kinds of fun and you won't come back in my house anymore. That's not what it is. God says there's a danger that is there. There is a danger that will pull you down. But you don't know what that danger is. You don't know what's out there. But God knows about it. And so he says, don't go out that, in that direction. Don't go over there. Don't be in that place. There are some times that you're going to have friendships with people. And you're going to have that close friendship. And you, you come on in and all of a sudden a warning sign comes up on the inside of you. Don't get too close. Why not? Why not? Why, why would I not get close there? Because there's something, there's a danger that's there. You need to listen to the voice of your spirit sometimes on that. God will tell you. God will judge it. Judge it for you. Don't get too close to that. They're going to pull you down. They're going to try and pull you away from this or, or get you into that. I'll tell you what. Sometimes guys are the most predictable things in the world. I think, I think generally men are very predictable. Women, not so much. But men are very predictable. It's, I, I was, we had some people where they were looking at bunk beds and they had two, two boys with them. And the, and the boys were just full of energy and full of life. And mom thoroughly enjoyed that the two boys were full of energy and full of life. And I says, aren't boys great? I said, you always know what they're going to do. She says, yes, you do. You don't always like it, but you always know what they're going to do. They're very predictable. If there's danger, pew, there they go. <laughs> if there's a challenge, shoo, right over there. They're right in there. Now, girls, it depends on the day. I mean, today might be different from tomorrow. And their response might be different. See, we men, when we're growing up, we don't have that problem. Football, there's always a good day 
for football. It's not like, you know, I'm not in the mood to play football today. We don't wrestle with that. Football is football. Baseball, baseball. Hockey is hockey. You're never in the mood to play it or not. It's just something that you do. That's just the way the men are. But the, the, the women, not so much. But the men are, are pretty predictable. I remember one time we were, we were over at the mall. And we were waiting. I, my wife uh, was going over to the mall. She was meeting us there. And, and we were arriving separately. My son and I, we got there early. I may have told you this story before. But it was around Christmas time. Or it was one of the holiday seasons. And we stood up there in the, in the upper area over in the Montgomeryville Mall. And if you're up in the upper area of Montgomeryville Mall, you can see down into the bottom area. And down in the bottom area is where they have all those kiosks. And all the people who try and come out and get you. Can I ask you a question? You just did. That's all you got to say to them. You just did. <laughs> but, and they try and, and lure you on in. And, the things. and so we were up there watching this. And there's this one girl. And she was dressed in attire to try and lure people in. And I pointed it out to Christian. That uh, this, this woman, she's, she's dressed to pull people in. And here comes this guy. I mean, it's a tiny woman. It is a large man. And she gets on over there. And we can't hear the conversation, but we can see what's going on. And the whole time I'm working you see, he, he's going to come right on in because of, because of the way she's dressed and the way that she's acting. I said, that is the stupidest thing in the world. I said, and I told him, I said, it drives me batty that women think that they can dress in a certain way and just get them to go right on over. Because yeah, they can. It does happen a whole lot. Men, be, be less predictable that way. Determine yourself. If, you, if, if a woman is trying to do that, it is not for good reasons. It is not. Just know it. It is not because you are super attractive. It is because she has determined something against you or something about you. She's just trying to pull you in. That's all that it is. Just... You know, the women that are worthwhile don't do that. But somehow, you know, you can tell this to men all the time. Certain men. Other men you can, you know, you can get the message across. But certain men, you can say this to them all the time. And yeah, 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 it's true. And then oh, here comes some woman dressed a certain way, trying to pull them in. And they follow their law. Don't do it. They have ulterior motives. And I'll tell you, women who give over to their, to their uh, sin side, you can get just downright nasty. Oh, women who don't are a beautiful thing. God has created them to be a beautiful thing. But you, you give in to that sin side, it gets downright nasty. Men who give in to the sin side, they can get downright mean, harsh, cruel. Men and women, we can both give over to the sin side and you turn you into a whole different animal than God intended you to be. Don't let that happen to you. But sometimes, you know, I would... I would get around with some of the guys and, and you'd see some of these, these girls do it. And you carry on this way. And it's like, yeah, come on. I'm not giving into that. Make sure that you don't. Because that's, that's what they did here. They sent out the Moabite woman. You go out there and you lower them in. You think they were dressed modestly? Probably not. They had certain intentions, certain reasons. Stand up against it. Stand up against it. You should be able to, to, to read that into people. And the more spiritually into it, intuitive that you become, you can pick up on that about people. 
and, and know about it. And just, you know, women, you can pick up on men that have wrong motives. Men, you can pick up on women that have wrong motives. You don't have to know what the motives were. You just know that they were wrong. You don't have to meditate on it any more than that. It was wrong. Let's go. Get out of there. But these folks didn't do it. They didn't listen. And they followed after it. They got into idolatry. Started going to feast for other gods. And I'll tell you what, that God bit them because they kept coming back to it from this point on. They'd get away from it and they'd start to come on back. And they get away and then they come on back. And they get away and they come on back. Some invitations you just don't need to, to accept, to listen to. Listen to the invitation of God. Listen to the way that He's taking you, the direction He has for you. Oh, it's a good direction. But judgment, being faithful. Faithful or what? What happens if I am not faithful? How important is this for me? We've been looking at all these aspects of faithfulness, all these rewards of faithfulness, all these things. How important is it? that I really get this down. If I go through my Christian life and never become faithful to God, never become more faithful. Remember way back in the beginning of the series, we talked about that verse, that many people think they are faithful, but God only sees a few who are faithful. Many people think that they're faithful, but God only sees a few who are faithful. Well, if I think I'm faithful and God doesn't see me as faithful, What's going to happen in the end? So I need to first off get on God's side of faithfulness. That's the place I need to be. But what happens? What happens if I do not stay faithful? There should be motivation that's there. There should be reason to get going and to keep moving. Don't get this idea that, well, if I become faithful, I'll become rich and prosperous and every problem will go away. Was Jeremiah faithful? Was Isaiah faithful? Was Paul faithful? Was Jesus faithful? Some of them had, had some things. Some of them did not have some things. How about Elijah? Was he faithful? Pretty much. I mean, one time he kind of slipped away from it then he got, got right back. Samuel? You have people in the Word of God all over the spectrum as far as things that they had. Don't think that it's just because you become faithful that it's a cakewalk with God from that point on. Abraham is faithful. He was rich. But I don't think you can say the same thing of a Jeremiah or an Elijah or an Ezekiel. But it's all right. God wants you to know why to be faithful, what it's going to do for how it's going to change your life. But we've been judging faithfulness based on the wrong things. How many converts did Jeremiah have? Did Isaiah stop the judgment of God from coming upon Israel? Did Elijah, with all the miracles that he did, turn the northern tribes away from idolatry? They didn't have success, did they? But were they faithful? Yeah, they sure were. Too often, folks, we let ourselves look at the success I have in the things that I do by what other people are judging by. And I'm judging my faithfulness based upon how other people look at my success, how other people look at how things have have gone. God looks at how faithful have you been to what He has said to do. 
And that's what He's judging you on. Remember when we started this, we looked at the parable of the talents. One's got five, one's got two, one's got one. He didn't judge the one who had two based upon what the one did who had five. He judges you on what you've been given, where you are placed, and what you're faithful to. How faithful are you to that? In the northern tribes, when the tribes split up, the northern tribe never sought after God as a nation. They never had a king who led them in a direction to seek after God. When they made the split, the northern tribes never had a godly king. There was not a single king that rose up who was godly. There was a handful who were godly before they became king, never were godly after they became king. Jeroboam was a godly man before he became king, became king and led Israel immediately into idolatry. So every prophet who was called into that northern tribe was going to have a hard time. So who does God need to go into the tribes that are the hardest? The ones who will be the most faithful. It is harder to be faithful to a dead seed than to a seed you replaced and grew. But you be faithful to what God gave you because God is the one who rewards His faithfulness. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You look upon our situation. You have placed us certain ministries and certain places. You have placed us around certain people. And you know the faithfulness that you've called us into. The things that you want us to walk into. Father God, we so much want to be seen by you as being faithful. We want to be judged faithful. Help us, Father, to walk out in this life. To do the things that you've called us to do. To walk in the ways that you've called us to walk in. To be faithful to the word that we know. And to continually learn more. We thank you for it in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.